Welcome listeners to Sleep, Eat, Perform and Repeat. This is a podcast on high performance. It will be presented by myself, David Clancy, and my two co-hosts, Connor Gavin and Kieran Dunn. What we're striving to achieve here is figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why are they successful. Rate and review, share with your friends, but most importantly, enjoy. Welcome to Sleepy Perform Repeat. Thanks for pressing play. This is episode number 50. Today we spoke to James Kerr, best-selling author of Mana and Legacy, leadership expert and high-performance thought leader. In this episode, James explains in depth what makes a high-performing environment, what are the cultural and leadership characteristics of such a place. James shares his experience through the years of working in elite sport, military organizations, and the corporate world to find common themes for success, and also discusses what Manchester United could do to become successful once again. We are very grateful to have had James on this podcast. His insight and teachings from his books have had a profound impact on our professional and personal lives to date. There was so much to take away from this episode, from key themes such as legacy, learning and development, and leadership. If you'd like more information on this episode or any of our others, check out our website at www.sleepyperformrepeat.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review. But most importantly, listen and enjoy. Hi, welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. We're joined on the line today by James Kerr. I'll pass you over to David, who will introduce you to James. So myself and Kieran are very grateful to have James on the line here. Obviously, you all will know that he's a best-selling author of books such as Mana and Legacy, internationally known. He's renowned for being a leadership expert, but also a high-performance expert. So who better to have on a podcast that preaches about high performance than James Kerr himself, who very much breathes it each and every day. So, James, I think where we'd like to start is how did you get into all this and how did you become a world thought leader in high performance and leadership strategy? Uh, well, first, thanks for having me here. It's, it's brilliant to, to take part. Um, the first time I, I had an opportunity to go inside actually was the Australian Kangaroos, the, the rugby league team back in 1990, that far back. And I was working in advertising at the time. So I, I, my kind of skill set, if you like, is as a writer. And one of my areas of interest is, you know, or, or really sparked by going inside that team was, was, was the leadership aspect. Uh, there was a coach there called Bobby Fulton, a kind of barefoot guru, a, a legend in the game. And, you know, I guess I learned a lot from him and sort of watching over his shoulder how he worked with, with that exceptional team, you know, players like Mel Meninga, you know, Brad, the young Brad Fittler, some exceptional talent and how he melded that into an identity and into a team. And it's always been an area of fascination for me. And, uh, you know, I guess you're you're propelled towards the things that fascinate you. And I've been very lucky to, to have been able to work with a, a wide variety of teams across different disciplines um, to kind of, you know, get a, try to get a sense of what do they have in common and what makes the, them, them tick and, and really how can culture effectively create a, a competitive a competitive edge absolutely and for us you know we came up with this originally with trying to understand what does make high performing individuals tick what what is yep. 
what are the habits, the characteristics, the attributes, the environments, the people, the energy. I suppose for you, let's start with something. What, what do you think what really drives high performance? Let's start with something as big as that. Oh, you know, what drives high performance? You know, the way I look at it is, is around what, what environment uh, does the athlete, does the team create around themselves? How do you prime your environment? Now, that's the people in your environment. Um, it's the input, you know, the, the education that comes in. It's the stuff you keep out, the choices you make to keep out. And how do you create an environment around yourself um, that is conducive to the behaviors that will bring out the best in yourself? It, you know, fundamentally, high-performance environments, I think, are learning environments. They're environments in which people within them are committed to getting better every day. And it's not the, the great leaps of talent often that take teams forward. It's the cohesion, the cooperation, the clarity within it, the standards and expectations that they set, the way they prepare for performance. All of those kind of thousands of details, those thousands of moments of discretionary effort, if you get that right, the kind of the boat lifts, as, as it were, the, the team takes off and is able to, in many ways, play above itself. So, you know, there are a lot of factors, but I think one way to look at it is you go, you know, have you got your values right? Is it values-based? Are you clear about where you're going? You know, is it vision-led? And have you got, have you really connected with a reason why? You know, is it purpose-driven? And in answer to your, your question, you know, purpose drives a huge amount in high-performing teams. You know, if you've got something to play for, you will. If you put yourself at stake uh, when times get tough, you know, that's when the tough step forward. So, you know, all of those factors make a difference. Every culture is different, but, but there are a lot of common denominators across cultures, I think. That's definitely more than an eloquent answer, James. I suppose what we're trying to do with our company is, I suppose, really understand and value the why behind it. And obviously realizing that it's a culmination of so many different ingredients that make the secret sauce that, yeah. you know, for, for the Springboks to have won the World Cup, for New Zealand to have won it um, in Eden Park, I was there. A lot of things had to happen. A lot of things had yeah. to, you know, work well at a certain point to just about get them over the line. So so thanks very much. That was an excellent answer. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we live in complex systems. It's very easy to look for the silver bullet, the one thing that's going to make the difference. But, Absolutely. you know, that, that, that idea of sort of, you know, don't try to do one thing, don't think to do, you know, one thing 100% better, try to do 100 things 1% better and really starting to aggregate those gains in a more complex system, a more holistic system that looks at the total environment, total performance environment. And that's kind of organisationally down to personally. Then I think you have a very powerful set of components, you know, when times get tough or where the opportunity arises. James, you've worked with many fantastic organizations and teams in sport. And I'd just like to ask, which or what culture did you find was most impressive that you've worked with in the past? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a you know, I think, define impressive, I think. I think, you know, on, on one level, I think, you know, the special forces community is pretty special mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that if they make a mistake, you know, terrible things happen. And so the level of excellence and professionalism and brotherhood um, and preparedness to sacrifice 
is difficult to beat, I think, in a team situation. Um, the All Blacks clearly are, are a team very close to my heart and deliver an extraordinary level of excellence. Um, you know, there are um, in business. You know, it becomes more difficult. I think you know, cultures become uh, have less of a boundary. But but there are some fantastic examples within within business. You know, I'm, I think I think it's very easy to kind of hate on uh, an organisation like Google, for instance, from the outside. But from the inside, there's some tremendous cultural principles in there around autonomy, um, around you know, if you look at self-determination theory, yeah. what people really want is is mastery, autonomy, and a sense of relatedness to some form of common cause. And I think the great cultures, and I think Google does that very well, that all the great cultures kind of answer those three tenets. You know, that it's an opportunity to kind of get better every day. Um, to do it on your own terms, to feel that sense of agency and leadership, self-leadership. The kind of people and a team and a cause that matters. And if you can create that kind of three-point holy trinity, if you like, um, you know, those are the cultures that sing for me. Those are the ones that are really impressive. Absolutely. That's excellent. And we see an awful lot of questions about what can business learn from sport. And I think you've answered quite well there in terms of what can sport learn from business. So Google has taught leaders as well. Just one point um, on sort of embedding that culture if you go into a company or a sports team, what would be the first sort of port of call? Would you take an assessment of where they are, or what would you? How would you go about it? I think every situation is different. Um, I think uh, you know. So, so you you need to define the challenge, the kind of the from to state, if you like. You know, where are we at, and when do we need to be? Yeah. And and then the intervention is likely to depend on that. You know, a little bit. Um, but fundamental sort of principles by behind it really are about this is creating a team's team this isn't about imposing an idea on top of an organization um you know whether it's a large larger organization or a, a small elite team it's about going well you know let's co-create it uh and it's partly the process of of doing it that embeds that idea of team if you like um Wayne Smith, the former All Black coach, has a wonderful line where he says that people will rise to a challenge if it's their challenge. Mm. And, you know, I think there's a, a fantastic kind of leadership precept, a kind of coach CEO, if you like, precept of you go, how do you, how do you empower your players? How do you empower yourself? How do you empower that environment? And of course, power means, empowering means literally giving out power. Um, so there's a huge leap of faith from a leadership point of view in creating that kind of environment, but huge gains in terms of ownership and discretionary effort and self, you know, autonomy is an incredibly powerful force. So in terms of the question, looking for ways to create that kind of environment through the process of co-creating um, some kind of framework for understanding is the kind of work I look to do. Exactly. Going back to what you said about defining the purpose as well. What is the reason for doing it? Yeah, what is the reason for doing it? And sometimes that can be kind of highfalutin, but usually the the purpose that works are very practical purposes, you know, that that are both universal but also kind of have that beat on the ground. And I think, you know, a wonderful example from business is um, Disney had to sort of transition from a kind of common understanding about Disney magic and what that is. And then they, but they needed to redefine. And that one of the lines they used was, 
um, to put smiles on the faces of families. You know, and that's a wonderfully practical purpose that linked that organisation for a, for a length of time. And you know, sometimes it can be you know win the cup, uh, but often the, the purposes that are that really drive people are about making memories, are about making a difference in the lives of others, around the kind of contribution you can make to each other or to uh, to your community or to your fan base around representation. You know, the kind of memories that will last a lifetime. You know, we're very emotionally driven human beings. And if we can find ways to connect to stuff that matters, to a narrative that matters, it's a tremendously powerful framework to live within and to, and to shape the behaviours that required to get you where you want to go. Fantastic. Now, we've, we've touched on so many key characteristics there, James, about, you know, habits, driving autonomy from within, creating a learning environment enriched with leaders and the kind of thought process that goes all through that. I suppose I'd like to get a sense from you. Say it's not all going to plan. Say, say, say we're going to bring Mr. Kerr over to Manchester, the red side of Manchester. We're both Manchester United supporters. I study, I study near there and it's, it's a bit of a... Toxic's not the word, but they're struggling. They didn't quite have the transition that we all would have hoped a couple of years ago when Mr. Sir Alex moved away. And yep. I suppose what, what would be the things that you'd look for, the big keystones, um, and you're going in there and you're trying to get that boat out of the water, getting it to go in the right direction again, getting yep. it to find success and leadership and all those qualities and attributes that you speak so passionate about me that we all want to see in a team of that should be succeeding so yeah i'd like to know from I, where you go yeah, in that yeah. sort of place i mean just with the caveat that i haven't specifically studied or looked at what is really going on within that team at the moment i'm i'm not clear you know i can make it and a we can make some guesses from the outside, but teams are often very different on the inside than they are from the outside. Absolutely. But on the caveat of that, just you know, it as an example, even yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I think I think it often depends for me on what has been the precipitating factor to bring me in, if that makes sense. You know, what is that? What is that? But from in terms of what the chemistry te uh, check is, it's really about conversation. It's around really trying to have some honest goodness conversations with people about where they are and where they want to be and trying to create some form of common cause and some form of, uh, you, you know, for, for everybody, you know, within any team, people are only really there for, you know, a greater, a, a shorter or a longer period of time, but a limited time often. And I think one of the key questions can be, you know, what do you want to do with your time here at the team? Do you want to tread water and use it as a stepping stone to get somewhere else? Or do we want to do something here together today? And, you know, often, or, you know, mostly with a decent team, the people in that team, they want to be the best team they can possibly be. They want to go out there and play great football or great play rugby, you know, great play, yeah. play great rugby. Um, but somehow the sort of internecine, the inter-rivalries, the factionalization that sometimes happen that becomes a dysfunction, a dysfunctional environment gets in the way of that. And so you need to look at what the particular dysfunction is and try to find something, step, step aside from that and try to find something that is common cause that people do have in common and be come back to the basics, come back to the values, comes back to a vision of who we want to be. You know, ask why it matters and recreate the narrative somehow within that team can be very, very powerful. Um, 
On the other hand, sometimes you can't change the culture without changing some of the people. Mm. You know, sometimes it does become about, you know, being a, not a ruthless leader. You know, still you can do you can do it with kindness, but uh, but eliminating the wrong people from the environment. You know, that can often be about that. Um, sometimes there are other areas. There, there is sort of structure around a team or around an environment can be very pernicious. You know, if the reward structure is wrong, um, the wrong people are being rewarded for the wrong behaviours, then it's very, very difficult to, to change that team unless you take a look at those structures and are prepared to do that. So I think, you know, there are many, it's a complex, they're always a complex system. Um, it's really about indicating what the drivers are, where the cracks are, where the dysfunction is, exactly. and trying to find an antidote of some form of common cause based on good values, a clear vision, and a, and a driving purpose. And of course, just for our listeners, that obviously has huge ramifications in a business environment, environment because change management, never mind just in the sporting world, but it's, it's, it's always very difficult if a, if a senior partner or a CEO or, or someone in a leadership position moves away, how can you, I suppose, not have such a step away from the culture that brought su- success and consistency yeah. and reliability and all the sort of yeah, yeah. key building habits. And we've, I've, I've seen that in a business world in the last couple of years, kind of that the difficulty sometimes in transitioning a new management, you know, new management team and things like that. It's not always easy. Yeah. So, and, you know, there's a, there's a, and this is with no disrespect to Sir Alex, but there's a, there's a, there was a phrase that he used, um, used to use, which is no one is bigger than the manager. Interestingly, the All Blacks use a phrase which is "there is no one bigger than the team," yeah. and and now within the Sir Alex, you know, reign, if you like, framework, you know, clearly he was the club in many ways. And him moving out mm. perhaps removed a little bit of that. He took some of that culture with him. Um, you know, the really strong cultures are the ones that are deeply embedded within the roots of the club, and all the decisions are made based on that. And I'm not saying. United doesn't have a strong culture. I just think it was perhaps became, he personified it maybe more strongly than was required at a time of transition. And and you look at the great teams that transition very well, they have a very strong culture that is independent of the individuals at the time. Just a, a food for thought. Absolutely. Speaking about adversity and overcoming barriers and things like this, is there any particular person or club that you are that's maybe a favorite for James Kerr that overcame adversity well my favorite story of course is the All Blacks 24 years of drought <laughs> in World Cups yeah. and and you know it's really what I write about in, in legacy obviously and the and the sort of the processes they put in place on the human level on the cultural level uh, to make that change I think I think that's you know a case study in how to do it exceptionally well and their kind of results with a couple of World Cups after that, kind of bear it out uh, very, very well. So, you know, um, you know, my favourite story in sport is probably, you know, the Muhammad Ali story. You know, here's a guy who was kind of knocked out both in the ring and by his principles, but lived by his principles beyond sport to become a leader beyond his game. And I think it's one of the things, I guess, that adversity gives us and teaches us, if nothing else, is that ability to, you know, sport is fantastic for for tell, telling very human stories. And I think the heroes in sport and many of the lessons in sport are, you know, around that life will knock us down and and um, 
and it's up to us. To, it, it's not how often we, the cliche, not how often we, we get knocked down, but how often we stand up that really matters. So Muhammad Ali would be my other guy. Not, I know it's not a first-hand encounter, but you know, what's an interview without a mention of uh, Muhammad Ali? Absolutely. Lovely, yeah. Um, James, you've had quite a story. You've shared with us so much wisdom, even in a short space of time today. I suppose I'd like to understand if two of us are leaving the room now in a couple of minutes' time and we had to take one or two lessons, pearls from you, James, that we can take into our life, personally and professionally, with my wife and baby at home, in my sporting world as a basketball player, and also with Kieran on, on our workside endeavours. What are those sort of lessons you'd share with us to help us grow and blossom over the next couple of years? Great, great question. Um, the first two things that come to mind, if I can come back to a couple of All Blacks and, and pass on some of the lessons that they taught me, directly or indirectly. And the first is the great Richie McCaw, who, when he was 15, was was asked, what do you want to be? And he said a great All Black. Oh, no, he said an All Black. G-A-B. said, don't you want to be a great All Black? And wrote down G-A-B. Um, and then lived into that expectation and, you know, I think went through the adversity um, to step back up and pick up a couple of Rugby World Cups and World Player of the Year, what, five times, 148 caps, the great all black to my mind. And so the, the phrase I think that I, the learning I came from that is a, a Maori proverb, which is just, you know, aim for the highest cloud because even if you come short, you'll hit a lofty mountain. You know, that kind of go high and go hard kind of attitude I think is massively important and ambition and stretch one. But then on the ground, another phrase from, from Brad Thorne, which was, you know, champions do extra that kind of law of marginal gains don't try don't necessarily try to do focus on doing one thing 100% better try to keep focusing on that 100 things 1% better and that um, you know the, the San Antonio Spurs call it pounding the rock yes, you, know, you, you know take a piece of marble and chip away and maybe on the 100th blow it breaks for you but it wasn't the 100th blow it was the incremental increase in pressure that you're able to put on over a sustained period of time and so that go go hard and throw your hat over the wall and then figure out how to get it, aim for the highest cloud on one level. But every day it's that chipping away, getting better, getting better at what you do every day that really matters. Now you've, you've just, you know, gave us some amazing energy and some fantastic lessons for us. I suppose what we'd like to ask, you have that huge bank, that reservoir of knowledge and information and thought process and adaptability and positivity to call on. What next is a fair question, James. You've, you've done all this. You've, you've obviously impacted so many people. You, you've reached out. You know, we've wanted to talk to you all the way from a small city in Dublin. Um, so what, what next for James Kerr? What's next on the agenda? Uh, well, well, thanks for asking. Um, I'm currently writing a book uh, about a team on their way to climb Everest, uh, an expedition that was interrupted by the ninth, uh, 2015 Everest earthquake. So I'm looking at adversity and pressure and uh, aiming for the top and resilience and all of those things within that kind of context. But a, a broader based book than, than legacy, I, I think I began thinking just about the team on the mountain, but you know, 10,000 people died in that earthquake and I wanted to open the story up to to really include, to be a story of stories about that moment in time and how people, excuse me, how people get, got, get back on their feet um, after such a moment. So 
that's my next kind of stretch goal, if you like. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I still have a lot of words to wrestle. Um, and then I'm loving my work, um, working with some, some, some pretty interesting teams, um, trying to kind of help them lift their game. So, th- so that's, that's next for me. Excellent. Well, we're looking forward to being part of that journey, seeing what you, what you bring out to the public over the next couple of years, because you've impacted so many, like I've said, just wanted to reinforce that. Thank you. Thank you very much. I suppose it's only fitting for, for me to say, it's funny, James. Um, I reached out to you on LinkedIn. I'm going to tell you a story. In uh, 2014, a long time ago, when I, I was working in Milan as a sports medicine physiotherapist for a group that are now based in London. And I actually wanted a book of legacy from you. And you actually posted my dad a copy of myself, a copy. And Wow. Wow. I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I vaguely remember doing that. But wow, I didn't together at all and you wrote an amazing thing on my book and we even to this day in our office or studio here i've i have a library of books from people that have impacted and helped inform my direction goals and values and mission statement and all that through the years and your book is there and i just wanted to say thanks for that because you actually at the time said something like our paths may cross at some point in the future so it's kind of a nice story i just wanted to share with you there today that ultimately very grateful and it's been been really really enjoyable to have you on this today oh listen it's been a real pleasure i'm glad we managed to finally make it work and um that's a lovely story to end with um, i'm glad our paths have crossed again james all the best with your future your family and all your work and stay fit stay healthy thanks very much for coming on to sleepy performer p today and for you for you guys as well thank you very much it's been a pleasure <laughs>